deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Well Seasoned Librarian Podcast. This is Season 13, Episode 9. I'm really happy to be having you with us today. Um, I have a really stellar interview with two wonderful people who I just totally had a great time interviewing, and, and you're going to hear this in the interview, I think. So I got to talk with uh, the wonderful and incomparable Lisa Lucas and Debriana Marcini, two well-known entertainment industry professionals who co-host Corona Kitchen that you may have seen on YouTube. It's a weekly Facebook Live and YouTube cooking show. Lisa is a professional writer, producer, and actor with over 37 TV credits to her name. You've, you've most likely seen her on a TV show at some point, including The Bachelor on ABC and Work of Art on Bravo. She's also a two-time Emmy winner for her work on my first pr- time on NBC and the documentary feature, However Wide the Sky, on PBS, which we're going to be talking about a little bit. Debriana is an actress you've seen. She's a writer and activist known for her role as Fran on AMC's Breaking Bad and also Better Call Saul. So you, you've most likely seen her and loved her. Um, she's also known for her performance opposite Oscar winner Jeff Bridges in Crazy Heart, which is a wonderful film. Um, their debut cookbook, That Time We Ate Our Feelings, is just a wonderful cookbook full of uh, gorgeous anecdotes and photographs and just great fun recipes with inventive uh, names to them. It's a really fun cookbook. Um, I think I, I want to say it's more than a cookbook. It's like um, a scrapbook of their lives, uh, talking about uh, their their lives, and uh, it's just really fun. It's full of a lot of their 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 own lives and their histories, and it's just really really great. I, I know you're gonna love it. It's out now as of this um, airing, and. Uh, we had recorded this a little bit earlier in the year, but uh, as of this recording, as you hear it now, the cookbook is out now and you can get it through major distributors. There's going to be links in the bio as well. So you want to check that out. So I'm going to be taking you to my conversation with Lisa and Debriana. They, they live in uh, New Mexico, uh, in Santa Fe, uh, to be exact. So that's where I was talking to them from. And you're going to really love this conversation as much as I loved making it. It was just a real honor. It was a real treat. And I'll take you to that now. Welcome to the Well Season Librarian podcast. I'm your host, Dean Jones. And today, I'm very, very excited to be talking to two people that um, I'm very excited to see because I've loved their YouTube, uh, Facebook cooking show. And also, I've seen them on television as well, in many different guises. Uh, So today, we're talking with Lisa Lucas, and Debriana Mancini, two well-known entertainment industry professionals, co-host Corona Kitchen, a weekly Facebook Live and YouTube cooking show. Their new book, That Time We Ate Our Feelings, 150 Recipes for Comfort Food from the Heart, is out now as of this episode. Lisa and Debriana, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank We're you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. I usually I kind of uh, give some intros for the guests, but because you both have very unique and varied uh, backgrounds. Can you both introduce yourselves? Sure. Go ahead, Lisa. <laughs> sure. Um, okay. Well, it's a it's kind of a, a melange of stuff. Uh, so we've all had nine lives here in this group. Um, I have been a writer producer um, in television for about twenty five years. Um, created about thirty seven TV shows, um, and came from that world. Um, I have two Emmys. <laughs> I also make documentary features, and um, and I'm working on an independent um, scripted feature right now, which is really exciting. Um, I also love to cook, and um, Debriana, my sister at arms, uh, is someone I love and respect, and we wanted to try to cope during, um, you know, the pandemic and the lockdown, and I credit her for reviving my love of cooking um, to do this project just because 
of my work, I was, you know, working, working, working so hard, the grind of working in television and our industry. And, uh, you know, we had, we were able to take pause. And so it kind of pivoted us, pivoted us into a sort of um, way that I could have never expected, but um, it's a different form of entertainment. <laughs> we did this, our, our show, you know, on uh, live stream, but I guess I'm going off and off now, but uh, yeah, I mean, we're, you know, we're storytellers. That's what we do. We're writers and storytellers and we somehow translated this into this project. <laughs> Sounds good. You have it, Debriana. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, I come from um, an acting background um, and uh, have written a, a few things over the years uh, and, and produced, I wrote and produced, uh, co-wrote and produced a, a web series called Cyphers when web series first came out. Um, and then uh, we, my husband and I did um, many documentary like shorts when Al Gore had his, um, his little channel and uh, they were, we've actually won a couple of contests doing um, short video, doc, uh, documentary videos on mostly environmental issues. And uh, I have a, a one woman show that I wrote called Meatball Chronicles and performed uh, that I was performing in, uh, across the country. And we we're about to go to London when the lockdown happened. Uh, and I know, I know it was just like everything ground to a halt. And I mean, literally we were planning the trip and then we were going back and forth going, should we go? Should we not go? Should we? And I also had it booked at the New Orleans Food Festival. And I was working with the chef there. We were going to put on the show and he was preparing a whole meal that was built around the performance. And oh. it was just everything went. Nobody knew what was happening. It was so it was such a scary time. So. You know, Lisa and I, two women not to be stopped by external circumstances, <laughs> decided that we would just like, well, we were home and everybody was home and nobody knew what to do. We were so, I mean, when you think about the time, we were so lost. So Lisa and I, the first thing I always turn to is the, is my kitchen. And so I knew that about Lisa. We had known each other for you know, a bunch of years, but had barely had time to get coffee. But we definitely knew about each other's love of food. So I just called her up and said, hey, you want to just you want to just cook on Facebook and see if Hang anybody out. joins us? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we were originally going to just cook every other day. We're like, oh, I'll cook Tuesday. You cook Thursday and we'll see what happens. And I don't know what happened. But the next thing we knew, we had cooked for 143 days every day straight live on on. Facebook and YouTube because we we realized that people needed that you know they we were those days we were like oh my god I found flour do you can you believe it let's make bread or you know, we had no idea what we, we could all, do we were all collectively living in that panic and fear and we didn't have the vaccine yet you know and all that stuff but and it seems like history now but it was so scary and um you know, people talk about serendipity, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, sure, serendipity, yeah. But I mean, we literally fell into this, like it, out of, you know, our- We had no plan, zero our plan. To, our need to cope was it, our friendship and bonding with our friends and family. We didn't think anybody else was gonna be interested in this. Um, and then the next thing we knew, we had this carrot cake that went viral. <laughs> <laughs> we had thousands of followers overnight. And then we were going to, oh, okay, let's do a few recipes for our members. And we'll just, you know, go down to Kinko's and, you know, laminate a couple things for 15 bucks, you know, you know like, like the church cookbook. That's what we had, you know, the old fashioned right? spiral bound book. That's what we had in mind. And then the next thing we knew, you know, one thing led to another, a friend of a friend who was like, hey, my publisher's looking for a quirky cookbook. And I thought of you guys and we pitched our idea and we got a book deal. And we were just like, what? Um, and so- <laughs> Here um, we are. And now we're doing your fabulous podcast. Who would have thought? <laughs> you know, uh, we just- I am very glad. Food. We just like to eat good food and share it. And there's a lot of family in this. 
there's yeah. a lot of our roots in this book and I think that we're finding that's what a lot of people respond to too is just the story we you know we told them we're not just going to give you recipes we want to write the stories connected to these things because that's you know because we're writers you know and so it we we really like how it turned out yeah. <laughs> I think everybody else is going to like how it turned out too. I'm lucky enough to be able to see um, proofs of it, and it's pretty amazing. You guys did a great job. Thank you. Thanks. I want to ask you both, um, and I like to ask this question for all my guests because I think it kind of um, gives us an idea of um, you know your food background. But can you tell us um, each of you uh, where you're from and talk about your food memories of your youth? <laughs> Gabriana did a whole play on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you want to go first? Um, sure. Uh, I, let's see. My food memories for me go back to as far, it's like one of my very first memories was um, making pasta with my grandmother. Oh my my family, um, I'm first generation. I know a lot of people don't actually identify themselves that way, but when I was growing up, a lot of people did. Um, and I'm first generation on my mother's side, uh, second on my dad's and my, uh, actually I just found out my, uh, um, some interesting stuff about my mom's family in Italy, but my, uh, uh, family on both sides, um, are, you know, they still are their cousins and family, um, in Italy. Um, and so everybody on my mom's in my mom's side of the family cooked and I just recently found out that my dad's side of the family has a restaurant in um Scala in Italy too so oh, wow. it, it seems like it was interesting to find that out that it is like deeply in my DNA you know the love of food and cooking and it was so funny my cousin posted pictures from the restaurant <clears throat> and they had made ravioli with ingredients from their garden. I'm like, oh my God, I do that. I do that all the time. <laughs> so it it was so funny to find that out. So my earliest memory is making pasta with my grandmother, like standing at the kitchen table and she would hand me the pasta dough and I would make like little turtles and shapes and she was pumping out the pasta and, you know, she would prepare for um, Sunday dinner on Saturday. And I remember hearing, you know, uncles talk about coming to our, our house on for Sunday dinner and they'd sit down and the first thing they would do is, you know, eat the pot roast or whatever that was the first and not knowing that was the first course and then would come out the pasta and then would come out the, the third course, the salad course. And they were like so stuffed by the end of it because they didn't know how to pace themselves. That was just how we grew up eating. So um, it's those kind of food memories are are in my in my dna for sure um and we grew up you know poor my family my direct family my mom and was a single mom of um five girls and we just grew up cooking everything we didn't we couldn't afford to buy packaged food it was more expensive yeah. so we made our own bread. We made our own condiments. We made our own. We, my mom would buy one box of store-bought cookies or something like yodels for the week for us to go to school with. And usually by the end of the first day, they were gone. So we had to make all of our own snacks. And um, we just grew up doing that. So it's very second nature to me to just walk in, see what's in the refrigerator and create something. That's that's my background and that's my um where my expertise for um cooking and preparing food comes from we we grew a lot of it um and which i still do so that that's sort of me in a nutshell <laughs> very nice okay so here's another weird synchronicity um so i am the eldest of five sisters as is wow and I'm 100% Croatian, okay, which is very, you know, like we wear the same color it's, shirt. It's today. sister. I, I mean, we um, you know, all the time. We are sisters uh, from many lifetimes. Um, but so I, I grew up in, a, in an immigrant household. Also, my grandparents, most of my grandparents were um, born 
um, and they were fleeing the Second World War when they came to the United States. So yeah. very much um, hardcore Croatian community that I grew up in, very tight. I mean, very old world. We would, you know, make strudel all the women on the dining room table with a broomstick rolling out the phyllo dough homemade, you know, like that's probably my earliest memory. I was maybe like three. I remember just rolling the dough and it was normal, you know, and uh, <laughs> people, you know, putting, I remember like old ladies, my, my great grandmother, like, you know, doing this with the water to keep the dough wet anyway. Um, but yeah, food was always at the center of everything. Um, my dad is a winemaker on the central coast of California. So we grew up total foodies, totally thinking this is normal to be um, very discerning about what we eat. Uh, my um, when my great grandfather came to America, he started a restaurant in Northern California called Tony Seafood. It's still there, um, north of San Francisco. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's a pretty famous fish restaurant and all my relatives were, um, seafaring fishermen. So, you know, and then my grandmother came up with all the food recipes. So we came from this big food restaurant family too. <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, uh, it's always been, a source of love for me, like food, we say food equals love all the time on the show. It's like, I remember my grandmother holding me and saying like, it's okay. You know, if something was, I was sad about something, goes, let's make bread. You know, we just put it, she would put that into me as like needing means meditation and comfort. And I love you. And you know, that kind of thing. And I just like when to this day, when I smell the scent of like yeast, you know, doing its thing. I just, it, ma it makes me think of her yeah. um, who lived to be almost a hundred years old. And I, I had her in my life for so long. And um, so the, the recipes in here, I, in the beginning of the book, Debriana dedicates the cookbook to her glorious husband, David. I had to dedicate mine to every Croatian woman in my life who, they were a group who uh, gave me, you know, all the inspiration for their recipes and my own takes on them. But, um, but mainly my mom is the main dedication for this uh, book for me because she just was an excellent cook and um, very high standards. And, um, you know, we really appreciated food too from growing up with her. And she always was trying to further herself. Like she got gourmet magazine and we'd, you know, couldn't wait to look through it with her and make something out of it when we were little. And it was just like, that just seemed normal to me. We were the same. We didn't buy a lot of store-bought stuff. Um, we made our things and we were proud of them. And we loved seeing how people reacted to eating food. Like our joy was like, oh, did you like the cake? Did you like this? Did you like that? You know. Um, and massive family food gatherings, just like my big fat Greek wedding. Like that's literally our life. Like when we watch that movie with my grandma, she's like, what's the big deal? We do this every day. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, food is definitely, you know, life for us, um, both I think and our families and, you know, we have deep connection to Croatia still. I was there, I went last summer, lots of relatives and, you know, my mom, probably going to retire there you know we we go back and forth now that now that we can um so I just love it there um but yeah did that answer your question <laughs> yeah yep well, I love it though I love hearing these stories because it always it, it just I love hearing about this because um so many people um you know they they um, put out you know cookbooks and everything and they talk about their cooking but I always love to hear the backstory on where this kind of came from the kind of personal history and this is always really beautiful to me hearing these stories. Yeah, I, you know, I think in in large part the advent of um, packaged food robbed us of so much um, of that connection that people derive from being together in a kitchen, passing that knowledge of, it's such a deep history and connectivity to not only each other, but to the land, to where your food comes from, um, to what good food really tastes like and feels like in your um, consciousness. Um, it, 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 that the packaging, the pre-packaging of stuff caused a lot of convenience, but I think we, we were robbed of a lot of that um, connectivity 
It's also the modern world too. I mean, I'll say for my own self, you know, we're on the run as Americans. We're work, 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 especially pre-COVID in the office, having to travel, having to do whatever. And that comes first before family a lot of times just for survival in this world and all the expenses that we have and we want, you know, good things for our children and all this stuff. And I got to the point where I was like, oh, that whole foods prepackaged thing is so easy. I'm just going to buy that. You know what I mean? Even though I would have loved to have taken the time to make a nice dinner and just didn't have the time, you know? And so it's like, what does that say about us too? You know, mm-hmm. um, it got to the point where like Thanksgiving was the only time I really, really cooked and took the time to cook. And that just made me sad. And I didn't know how to get out of it. Um, and then I realized this is a much deeper, longer story, but a short form is, you know, I needed to get a divorce and, um, I wasn't really looking at that. And, um, you know, the moment I left that relationship and, and restarted my life is the moment I started cooking again and, and Corona kitchen really that we started together, just you know, jump started that love again, because we had to cook, you know, during COVID. So it was like, oh, yeah, I love this. It's not a burden. It's not a chore. This actually makes me feel good. And I think for a lot of Americans, especially we just get in that mindset of like, oh, I don't have time. It's such a pain in the ass. I have to go to the market. I have to get this and that and that. Well, I don't have time to do that. I have to take the kids to ballet lessons, blah, 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 you know, and you just get caught up in that. And it's just so important. We can carve it out. And I think in a post-COVID world, we realize we can carve it out. We can work remotely from home. We can do other things. It doesn't have to be this constant, constant drive. And that's the most important thing. You know, we're having a shift now, right now, priorities, I feel like, I mean, Mm -hmm. do you agree? I mean, it's just like, yeah, no, I mean, I think that term (laughs) Americans are, you know, they have such high productivity. That sounds really positive. But what it means is we're working so hard. We're working much harder than other people in the world in, you know, in other industrialized countries. And it's not a good thing that we're overproductive. What it means is we don't have time for our actual lives that nurture and support us. So um, I, I always I always have to laugh when I hear that term productivity. And it's it's not it's not healthy for us as a culture. Um, so well, no, I mean, cause like both of you, you know, said that you come from backgrounds where you've had a lot of siblings that you would be cooking with or relatives you'd be cooking with. How many times did you guys have really amazing or important conversations, you know, while you're cooking? And then now we have these people that they come home, they nuke something, all everybody goes and eats in front of their computer. Nobody talks. I mean, yeah. can you guys talk about the juxtaposition of that? Cause you must know people that, are kind of living that life, whereas yeah. opposed to you had big, important conversations and life-changing experiences based around cooking, right? Yeah, well, that's the whole premise of my show. Everything I learned in life, I learned around a table, eating, cooking. Yeah. Every important lesson I learned, it seems like a meal was involved. <laughs> I think I learned how to debate from my family mm-hmm. um, because our, our big tables, when we would go to my grandmother's house for regular meals even it was just like there would and this will segue into politics here um it you know all of a sudden like you know my grandfather would say something like throw out a term of the day or what was happening in the news and everybody was just like blah, 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 and you were allowed to have your opinion about it and it was healthy debate back in the day today that's a, a lot more difficult but like it, we we decompressed we said our feelings um people could get mad or whatever, storm off, but it was done at the table. It was almost like group therapy, actually, when I think about yeah. it. Um, but, uh, but it's so true. It's like not doing that cuts off and suppresses so much of the important processing we just have to do to be human, you know, and to connect with others and our, and the people we love. And we're just so caught off from it, you know, and how do we get it back? And we, you know, and I, and I think we made a book like this because it's kind of our answer to how, we did get it back. And here's how, if you want to do this kind of stuff, you know, um, 
I always thought that would be, that would solve a lot of the world's problems. If you would just sit down over a a great bottle of wine and, and a, a, a couple of courses of really good food, a lot of problems could really be solved because that's, the commonality it's so what's been so interesting too in that the time we've taken over these years is lisa and i are the network we're the producers we decide what's happening and so when we're you know deciding what to cook i mean it's been years of this three and a half years we you know you realize (laughs) the commonalities among um cultures everybody has some form of flatbread Everybody has some form of of stuffed pasta. Every you know, like every culture has a commonality of um, what some people call peasant food. What I call comfort food that goes a- across the the continents. And so, if you can find that commonality. I think everybody can find some level. And, you know, it's not exactly the same, of course not, but it's it's close enough that I think people could come together if they would just eat together. Our whole thing is food has to taste good. And how do you do that? The number one thing is you you get the best ingredients you possibly can. And and I think, you know, we <laughs> we're the great assessors of our refrigerator. Like a lot of the times for the show, we'd be like, okay, I've got this in my fridge. What can, it's almost like an episode of Chopped every, yeah. every night. Yeah. You know, I've got this in my fridge. What could I make? Um, and, you know, but, oh, I let's not make that because I don't have the key good ingredient for that. Or let's morph this and do this. You know, we're constantly you know, got in that mode, which is really fun. It's like doing a creative space to be in. It absolutely (laughs) is a creative space to be in. Yes. And creative. I want to stay on this topic a little bit because when I was reading the book, one of the things that really shone through through the cookbook, yes, it's a cookbook and yes, it has many recipes in it. But what really struck me was um, from the photography to the titles of the recipes, there was a real warmth and love in this cookbook that I saw. And there was a lot of also writing about your lives and how the food touched your lives. Was that, when you when you talk to, I talk to many people who have to talk to publishers about selling a concept for a book. How are you able to articulate this to the uh, publishers? Was it hard or was it, you know, just looking at your show, was that kind of easy to kind of pick up? Well, it was the only thing we knew how to do. I was yeah. just going to say that, Jeffriana. I was literally going to say those exact words. <laughs> I, I just, uh, it's so funny. I mean, we do that all the time. It's just, it, 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 all we could do was present who we were. And we had no, either one of us, I don't think, had any expectation that they were going to take it. <laughs> so we, we just, at this point in our lives, both of us insist on being who we are. Um, and if, if they didn't want to accept that for whatever reason, and it was totally fine, we were just going to do it ourselves anyway. I mean, we had a whole cadre of people that wanted what we were doing. So, um, when we, and I didn't mean, we presented it properly. We had a proof of concept. We had to give writing samples, which we had. Um, and so, and we had to give recipes. Uh, and we'd already been taking photographs because we were posting them every day. So we didn't, you know, at that point have the professional ones, but we had our, our Instagram and Facebook and all that, the photos, we always posted a photo of what we made and, um, took relatively good photos. And now we have a photo contest in, in Corona kitchen. So we've developed over the years. So, you know, we, we were kind of already focused and, and clear. We had a clarity about who we were what we wanted to say, what the food represented. And so it wasn't, it, it wasn't hard to do that. We weren't trying to please anybody else, which I think is a key ingredient when, when you're presenting your idea and Lisa pitches ideas all the time. So you can mean it was a lesson for me in pitching because I've pitched, you know, countless TV show series and all that kind of stuff. And it's always like, you get to this place where, you know what, here's who we are. We know it's good take it or leave it. And if you want to take us, 
here's what comes with it opinionated feminist women who are totally um, political um, who come from these immigrant families who love food and storytelling and we want to do it like a scrapbook memory thing and it's not a normal cookbook if that sounds good to you great if it doesn't you know that's okay too but we weren't going to alter ourselves we didn't want to do it if we had to alter ourselves you know and they were so great they're like this is what we love about you so let's do it because it's different you're quirky you're weird let's do it you know um <laughs> we had no idea that i mean honestly we had no expectation and we were literally shocked when they said they would yeah we were stunned take us on absolutely stunned <laughs> Uh, I'm glad to hear when publishers do that because so often I hear other stories that are the opposite where they want to unmake the good thing and make it bad. So I'm glad they left well enough alone and just let you guys be you. Well, yeah. let, let's talk about them for one second. Okay, so they're Apollo publishers in New York City. And the woman that we were dealing with is one of the co-owners. Um, you know, she's young. You know, she's a millennial. She did most of her early work working for like HarperCollins and the big publishers. And this is her first venture out, I believe, as a publisher um, with her um, co-owner Alex. And it's like, you know, they are trying to do forge a road for themselves. So they're different, you know, like they're, they learned from all the traditional places, but there was space there for people like us. So I think, we have to give them some credit for, oh, yeah. for sure for like, you know, being a little bit non-traditional, you know, and, and taking us on for sure. I mean, you know, we're so grateful to them for, for doing that, but, but they, they were not your typical, you know, it wasn't us, you know, approaching Simon Schuster, you know, it wasn't like yeah. that, but, yeah. um, but that doesn't mean that this couldn't, you know, take off in a major way. It's just the publishing landscape is different too. I mean, we're, yes. we're learning, you know, we're learning, we knew nothing about it, but like with Amazon and all the stuff, you know, that's just, it's a totally different scene, I'm sure than, than, you know, pre-internet days. Well, it, what's that saying, you know, um, luck equals preparation and, um, you know, when it meets opportunity and preparation and we were, completely prepared um, for that to happen. I mean, we were, we did the work. Um, we didn't realize we had done it. What, what one would call a test kitchen because we had already cooked all the recipes. So a lot of what we needed to bring to a cookbook, we already had done. We were writing the recipes and publishing them for people to just take um yeah. on facebook a lot of them the, the book has ones that we didn't obviously didn't do um and so there are new you know new recipes in there as well but but we had already done a lot of the work that somebody yeah, has that, to do to put a cookbook together and we didn't even know it see that speaks to the serendipity again we're like falling into this i mean we called upon my cousin who's a professional food stylist and she's just like okay you realize when you get a cookbook deal, you have to take like a year to do all this stuff that you did already did. You were already doing it. You didn't know. And that's why your book's ready to go, you know, but we didn't know the writing of it would take a year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lot. I hear that a lot. Yeah. It, it takes a long time, but, but we just, I mean, I swear to God, we just fell into this, you know, yeah. we're just going with it. <laughs> I got to ask how, how did you guys meet? <laughs> This is so funny. Very funny story. Um, yeah. Again, total serendipity. So yeah, I'm um, very active on social media. I have been for years. Well, when I started my web series, um, I knew I, I it was important to be involved in social media. It was something I was kind of not really into doing, but I did anyway. And um, and so I was had been developing my following on Twitter and um, Facebook for years. And I had met um, a, a guy on Facebook who was in business and we chatted all the time, you know, back and forth on Twitter. And he contacted me one day and he said, you know, I, I, um, he sold advertising, um, like big chunks of advertising to network television. And he said, um, I, I'm, I, I have a, 
uh, invitation to go to a party at Reels Network in Albuquerque. Do you want to be my plus one? And then we can actually meet. And I was like, sure. So um, I drove up and met him and it was at this resort a place, really nice place in Albuquerque. And um, we did a tour and then we were going to sit down and eat together. And um, I, I, my place, the table was right next to Lisa. <laughs> Who was I didn't want to go to this dinner. Um, I was head of programming for Reels Channel, all of Reels Channel. I produced 600 hours of television a year for these people. And they're like, come on, you have to speak to the to the affiliates and the advertisers at this dinner. And I'm like, I feel so busy. I can't, I really don't want to do that. I'm like, okay. The CEO called me. He's like, you have to be there. I'm like, okay. So I sit down and they put me next to Debriana and I'm just like, you know, we're, the whole yeah. the whole dinner we spent critiquing the horrible food <laughs> oh no and we became instant friends we bonded over that <laughs> instant friends it was so that's fun how we, that's how we met <laughs> and then we realized you know because I also have an acting background too and I but I hadn't done it in years that's a whole other story coming back to that but um you know, she was working on Breaking Bad. We were working next door to Breaking, where they shot Breaking Bad at the now Netflix studios in Albuquerque. And um, so I was interviewing, you know, John Carlo Esposito and Brian Cranston and all these people for for that show is being produced at the same time. And I'm like, okay, you know, and it just we had all these like things. And then we realized, oh yeah, you're really you're really an activist. Me too. I have really strong feelings about women's issues and different things and we were just like this I mean just and then we then we started seeing each other at marches you know <laughs> protest all the time you know so it was just like definitely kindred spirit I know that um the cookbook touches on the idea of sustainable cooking and cooking with what you have like say in the garden or what you're getting at the farmer's markets can you talk about that a little bit um sure go ahead um, <laughs> let's see. Well, me being a farmer's daughter, uh, cause my dad, you know, grew wine grapes and my other side of the family, even though had that a restaurant, we always had a garden always so into going directly to the farmer for food. Um, I I've always attended farmer's markets and grown my own food. So the excitement of, um, not only having a great, you know, bunch of produce or, you know, vegetables, fruit, whatever it is that's local and seasonal, the concept of that, the concept of organics supporting that, the concept of um, healthy, you know, um, things that are grown healthily and, and not doing the commercial route when you can um, is really important to us. I mean, it's the best flavors of food, Use, you know, trying things with heirloom vegetables and getting all into that, you know, growing our own and seeing, you know, what, what to make of it. I think that's just the tastiest food comes from that, from the ground and, and reconnecting with that. Again, we're so separated from how our food is grown and created. Um, right how now. we obtain it. Like this was me as a young person in New York. Um, when I was in the city, I would walk around the streets and I think if I ever get wealthy, I want to buy a place in New York and and in the what we call here the hell strip, the the part that's between the the road and the sidewalk, where there's usually trees or something planted, if if not filled in with concrete, I was like, I'm going to plant fruit trees in the hell strip and feed people, like so people could just walk by and pick fruit and feed themselves. Like the concept of you being able to put a seed in the ground. Like one of the things we we've taught people over the years um, that we've been doing Corona kitchen is like when you eat a tomato and you open it up and there are, you see the seeds in there, that's where the tomato comes from. <laughs> Those are the seeds. I can show you how to take the seed out of a pepper, dry it. And then in the summer you put it in the ground and you have your own food or take the end of a scallion when you buy it from the store and it has the little roots on the end that people cut off and throw away, take that and put it in the ground and you will grow your own scallions. 
you know, like a lot of that kind of stuff, like magical to me, (laughs) it's magic. It's total magic. And like, you know, Debriana has this um, infamous freezer, you know, that none of us have. And, you know, she saves all her like Parmesan rinds and her things for her soup stock and all this stuff and like composting. And I think we just, we're getting really into that with our, the members of our food community, just because like, again, it's the cycle of life. We were able to take pause during this pandemic time. And I think we took pause in such a way to really realize where our food came from uh, and get into it because it's fun. And it's not only that, but you're supporting um, farmers. You get to see the farmer who grew your food when you go to the farmer's market. There's a, again, human connection there. It's not just like going to the market and buying frozen chicken wings, you know what I mean? And not seeing the animal you know, or thinking about how those animals are raised and, it, and we question and think about like, what are we doing here with this factory farming and um, mass, mass, you know, farming and, and all the chemicals that are used and all that stuff. And it's like, we don't have to do it that way. You know what I mean? We do not have to do it that way, even on a mass level, but for you yourself, you can take responsibility for yourself. And all we have in America is our dollar. You know, it's like, if I choose to buy organic, I'm making a political choice actually, and a way and showing how I want my food to be grown and eaten. And I put that into my body and, you know, I want food that's grown with love. I mean, don't, when somebody gives you a basket of tomatoes from their garden, can you not feel that love go into you? I mean, there is visceral. I feel it, you know? Um, Oh, by the way, I do have a cherry tree and an apricot tree in my health strip. And my, it's so funny. My neighbor came up to me and she was walking by with her kids. She said, Oh, I hope you don't mind. My, my kids have been picking your cherries. I'm like, no, please pick your cherries. (laughs) That's why I put it there. (laughs) It's totally just, you know, that again, human bonding of good. You're connected to the land. You're connected to the way your food is grown. We've lost that. We've completely lost that. And we've got to and then we lose our connectivity to each other because of that. It's so, it's so wrapped up together um, that it, if we can bring even a little of that back, um, we'll bring the, the humanity back to ourselves. Like uh, gardening is such a, um, an interesting thing. It's not, it's not always that you put a seed in the ground and it grows. Some of them don't. Sometimes, you know, the weather is not conducive. Sometimes you have to give up, you know, put more calcium in the soil to make the tomatoes not have end rot. And so it's always a thinking and giving and taking that happens when you're gardening. And, and there's joy in the, in the end product. Like I can't, I, I must look like a lunatic when I, when I go through my garden and pull potatoes out of the ground. I'm like, look, It's just, it's so exciting and, um, and magical to me that if we can bring that back, like I always had this idea about those big box stores that are closing. If we could go in there and do teach people how to do hydroponics, you could grow food in there. You like, why should we just be handing people out cans of food? Why can't we teach them how, how to grow at least herbs in in a pot, like anybody could do that anywhere you live. And that's a, that's a big concept that we have at the beginning of the book that we take from the movie Ratatouille, which is the basic premise is anyone can cook. And it's so true because a lot of yeah. our community, you know, people are afraid. They're afraid, like, I'm going to screw up, whatever. Um, you know, I screw up all the time on the show. Debriana makes mistakes. You know, I think that's the other part too that translates a lot with people. Mm-hmm. Is like, you know what, sometimes it's not going to work out. And then it's like, well, why didn't it work out? Oh, because I used salt instead of sugar or whatever. <laughs> I couldn't see the thing, you know, or whatever the case may be. Um, yeah. But to take the chance, it's worth it. Try it out. That's really what we're saying. And if you try it, you're going to want to do more because you're going to like it because it's going to make you feel good. You know, mm-hmm. um, my grandmother used to always say, my garden is my therapy. And, you know, and like, we'd be like, where's Nana? She's just out tending the garden for a couple hours. It's, you know, before dinner and, 
wanted to be by herself and then she'd come back in and be like okay let's have dinner you know and it was just like I learned that you know and I think if everybody did that wow we'd, we probably wouldn't have as many wars mm -hmm. um, you know I want to talk about um, your activism and how you've used that for documentary work. Uh, Debriana, I want to, I'm a big fan of a documentary that you and your husband made called Earthships of uh, Taos. And, and uh, that's a film that's kind of a touchstone for me with a friend that passed because he uh, was very, um, he was very big on the, the film and the documentary and he wanted to show it to everybody that he could because he thought it was very important. Um, can you talk about this documentary a little bit and what it meant to you and your husband to make it? Oh yeah, um, I, it's so funny. There's so much that goes in my mind when you when you bring that up. Um, first of all, I'm 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 just so touched that people were moved by it. Um, it, it we were I, I had no idea. We we put it out there and we didn't know you know where what happened or where it went or who even watched it. But um, I'm very surprised and touched that you um, know about that film. Um, a very dear friend of ours actually just passed who uh, has had an earthship. He built one and, um, it, it, you know, it all, it's all kind of the flow of the same conversation about how we are so connected to the ground and, and in to ourselves and to each other in that way. And, and the earthship is a perfect, um, identifier for that, where you use the earth, the qualities of of the ground that give back and take that it's a cycle so if you build part of your home into the into the ground you automatically have a cooling um feature that happens the earthships of taos are in such a cool place like they took a a piece of land that was on what was deemed unusable because it was um, a waste from a gravel pit. And it, it so it was cheap because nobody wanted it. They, they deemed it unusable and they were able to take that land, build the homes, it, you know, burn them into the earth, um, set up water collection areas, have solar panels that they're self-sufficient in that um in that community and so then they can grow their food because they're collecting their water and the homes are gorgeous and i think that was the other thing um that people would think oh it's just like a, i don't know a hippie tent or something and people no. have made incredible incredible homes that are built around the functionality of the piece of property and the respect for the land and the place that they live, it all wraps together. And we were so impressed by what people had done there and, and just wanted to share that with other people that there are other ways to do what we do in the world and still have beauty and convenience. It's just another way, that's all. It doesn't have to be one way down the fossil fuel, um, everything cookie cutter instant lifestyle there are other ways to do it and still have a gratifying and fulfilling life i really loved the documentary i thought as california's climate changes it's something that a lot of us are going to have to be looking at and it's something that my wife and i are looking at that model of the earthship and thinking maybe this is something that we could do and i think a lot of people are starting to look at that too yeah and it yeah, is, they are very beautiful. I will, yeah, I will very beautiful. echo that. Yeah, they're very beautiful. And and it's a creative, you know, place to um, figure out. You figure out how to use the place that you are um, planting your stake. And, and it does take work. But there's a lot of, um, you know, there's ways where you can combine convenience with, um with you using the land or the piece of land that you um are on so it I, I just love the whole concept of that lisa i want to talk to you about um a documentary that you were associate producer on called however wide the sky places of power can you talk a little bit about this documentary sure um well i'm just going to add to the to your earth the end of your earthship um 
thoughts that, you know, New Mexico is a really special place. We, we feel so lucky to live in this state. Um, it's a confluence of many different cultures here uh, that are celebrated and honored and, you know, we coexist so much history, Native American history, all that stuff. And the earth ships are in this really beautiful part of our state. And um, there's so much information out there how to do different kinds of homes, straw bale homes, all the off the grid stuff. It's a, it's a total thing here. Um, but anyway, back to however why this guy. So um, I work, I've been working for almost 10 years now with um, an incredible nonprofit called Silver Bullet Productions. Um, I work in the film arm of them, but their main focus is education, um, film education on um, native lands and with um, different native, you know, tribes here in New Mexico, um, the Pueblo tribes mainly. And um, and we did this because, you know, we go in and do these workshops, these creative educational workshops with native youth to teach them how to use cameras, document their story, because the stories are getting lost in the, you know, confluence of modernity and, you know, the old ways and in a lot of different places of these, in these different tribes. So it's been a hugely successful thing of just, you know, all these kids going off to be filmmakers and preserving their culture and all this different stuff, all this good, good, good thing. But the documentary features that we do with the organization are really to, um, shed light on like myth busting historical things about Native Americans here in the United States. And it's been such a joy for me to be a part of this group. I am but one tiny cog in a big wheel um, that makes these films. Um, and I feel just honored to be even a part of it. Um, this last one that we did, However Wide the Sky, it's currently on PBS um, and it's we did win an Emmy for it. Um, I can't even begin to explain, you know, just the happiness I feel to myth bust any misconceptions about um, Native history. I learn every time. It's not my culture, but I learn from it and I listen, you know, and I think that's what everybody's trying to do right now in their respective origins. Just listen to the truth. Just listen to what it is from the people that it's happened to and not having an interpretation from someone else who doesn't have a connection to it. Um, and so, you know, we really work um, stridently to have, you know, major native involvement on all of our projects, um, advice from advisors of tribes to governors of tribes, you know, we it gets our films get viewed over and over to make sure we're saying things properly and doing all the right things. And in this particular project, um, my third film with these people, we wanted to take um, five or six different stories of some environmental kind of disaster issues in the United States and just tell this each one of the stories. Like for example, you know, we talk about Chaco Canyon and um, Blue Lake and Taos and um, uh, you know, different places all around the um, Southwest, mainly in New Mexico, but a couple on the Colorado border, et cetera. And um, I think the stories are just shocking, um, enlightening, um, factually correct, you know, and, um, you know, people were cheering at the end of this film because some of the environmental things that were reversed were, um, you know, overturned by Biden, the Biden administration. So it's just like when you look at what the plight of the tribes here in America has been since the, you know, colonial founding of this place, um, it's just brutal. You know, it's brutal, yeah. but there are, there are victories. And this film deals with kind of the small victories, I think, and some of the bigger victories. So it was a hopeful film as opposed to total downer, you know what yeah. I mean? It sets up all the, all the different stories of these different um, places of power because, you know, you go to a place in, in an average American and thinks, oh, that's, you know, that's a national park. It's cool. It's owned by the government. I get to go there and camp. Well, to a whole other massive group of people for many, many centuries, that is a sacred space. 
yeah. that is a sacred church, if you will, of their tribe or whatever, you know, that's been decimated by, you know, people trying to take the oil out of it or the uranium or whatever. Um, and we didn't learn these things in school. So we're on this quest with this group to um, be truth sayers and let everybody know what's really going on. And so it's been enormously gratifying for me to be a part of it. And, you know, we have this particular film is in um, the Museum of the American Indian in New York. It's in the Smithsonian. Um, universities license it all the time. Um, uh, different tribes, you know, show it frequently um, to their people. I mean, it's just been like such a great thing. I mean, we could make movies like this forever and there's a million topics because there's so many things to talk about, but um, it's, it's very, it's been a, a joy Beautiful for me to be part of this stuff. Um, and, uh, and I'm making more, making a new one now with them. Um, and it's, we're going even deeper, very, just some, you know, controversial, tough, tough topic stuff, but it's the wave right now. There's a wave of truth happening and, and a fight, you know, yeah. of what to teach kids and what not to teach kids and- What our real yeah. history is. <laughs> yes. Right. We because ne we never got it. <laughs> we did not yeah. get through history yeah. at all growing up. And um, if I can be but one small part of that in my lifetime, it gives me a lot of joy because it it must be told, you know, across all across it's all. It's so stories. interesting because New Mexico has so much of that. I I did a a PBS documentary film called Awakening in Taos, which is really about <clears throat> the Mabel Dodge Lujan part of our history that gets so ignored in in the uh, um it, how much women played a part in art in art history it's shocking how many women get ignored in in yes. the art world and how they've not been paid attention to and i mean i i did the voice of george o'keefe in that but in georgia is one of the ones you know she's so new mexican um here but you know, an international star that everybody knows, but there were so many more that never get talked about. And so there's a rich history and culture of things in our that we don't know about. And we're so blessed to be able to tell those stories. For example, the new Oppenheimer movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, Christopher Nolan left out a lot of the, that story of the downwinders here in New Mexico yeah. leave when they did the testing and Yep. Everybody here just freaking out about it. I mean, we, you know, we're this blue state surrounded by red, sandwich between red. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. and we're, you know, we're pretty active here. We only have 2 million people in the fifth largest state in landmass. And, you know, we are vocal for sure, you know, about human rights. I never learned about the Japanese internment camps until I came to New Mexico and they were here in Santa Fe. I mean, we, why didn't I learn about that in school? Well, I mean, there's so much, God, we don't talk. Did you know there's uh, Angel Island off of San Francisco was a uh, internment camp for Italians during World War II. Did you know that? Uh, you know, uh, no, but I am well aware of how Italians were treated when they came here. And I often have to remind some of my relatives that we were those people on the bottom rung. We are immigrants. Don't disimmigrants. You are one. I talk about it in the, there's a story in the book where I talk about my great grandfather. He was an illegal immigrant. He had to flee persecution and, and it was going down, you know? And so he came, it took him 12 years mm -hmm. to get enough money to bring everybody over to escape the war. And, you know, he was living here illegally, selling tacos, doing whatever he had to do, fishing, whatever he had to do to get his family over here. And I just, I don't think people understand that. They forget. People that are going forget through their history are yeah. exactly the same. It's not, it's not a party, you know, to have to do that and uproot your whole family. You do it because you have to, yeah. you know, yeah. you should not um, discriminate just because they happen to have brown skin now. You know, Nobody that, wants yeah. to pick up and leave their family, leave no. their land, leave their friends, leave their community. They won't do it unless they have to, because yeah. you know, people, when we were doing it, there was a world war and everyone 
everyone was aware of that. Not everyone is aware today of global history and what is happening in other countries. People don't do that. They don't leave with what they can grab on their back unless they have to. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, you know, again, circling back to human connection. We're all human. You know, we should be all caring about every child that, you know, loses their mom at the border or whatever the case may be. This is us. We are them. They are us you know, and it's hard. It's hard times these days. Um, there's a lot going on politically that we're actively involved in. We talk about it every Monday night on our show. We're hugely involved in women's issues and the plight of women here in this country, especially, which is at an all-time low, yeah. um, you know, and so it's the fight never ends. I mean, you know, that's, that's part of it too. I, I've always found it interesting. We have this huge group, you know, that we assembled many people that we don't know, but many people that we do know that are conservative that watch our show. And yet we're able somehow to still have healthy dialogue because they don't leave. We know they're not leaving as members of the group, but you know, we talk about stuff that we know they don't believe in or whatever, you know what I mean? But it's maybe it's through food, maybe it's through the way we present the facts. I don't know, or our passion or our individual experience, but but somehow we've gathered this group of a lot of like-minded people for the important things, I think, and, and and through food. And that means something to us. You know, we've done something here. I don't think we ever really, it really dawns on us what we've done <laughs> until we do things like this interview. We have to talk but, about um, it. <laughs> but um but it's, you know, we just feel so good about it. Like we did something, we brought people together in hard times and continuing on through the hard times that we're still having. It's not over, you know, um, it's gonna be a constant fight, but we have each other. I guess that's the main point I'm trying to say. We have each other, you know? I wanna ask you uh, one last question. What's, what's next for both of you? <laughs> Um, we, we, we talk about doing a line of product. Um, Ooh. we have ideas about, about what we'd like to do. Um, we talk about, um, perhaps a show like of, uh, pitching a show about me finding my family roots in Italy. I've never been there. And, but Ooh, I know my whole nice. family's there. I know. And so, and both sides are there and I've never met them or seen them. And I was told stories when I was young about, um, we had money, but you know, it was all taken during the war and, and yeah. my sisters and I all blew it off. I'm like, oh yeah, everybody has stories. And then I was, I don't know what made me, I, it was, I guess I was doing something, researching something for my show. And, um, I found out that my mom's last name is Kiaya, which is a very unusual. I've never heard anybody have that name all the time I've grown up. I've never heard another Italian person have that name. And <clears throat> it turns out there's a whole town with a luxury hotel chain and a whole boulevard with that family name in a place in Italy. And I'm like, what? It looks like the White Lotus season two, by the way. Um, <laughs> We, I, we, I was absolutely stunned and so you know we're thinking like well that could be a show <laughs> that sounds like a great show i mean we're always thinking about tv shows i mean i'm making this first feature for me i'm very excited about it um i hope we get to do more books i hope we get to do um you know more things together debriana and i and in as far as tv show i mean Look, nobody can replace Anthony Bourdain, okay? He was yeah. one of a kind and, and they've, they've been trying to since he passed away. But I feel like, you know, we have something quirky and different that's, um, you know, a women's angle of it that no one's ever seen of like doing a similar thing. Everybody tries to say, oh, I wanna be da 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 like Anthony Bourdain. No, you're not gonna be him, okay? But we could do our own brand yeah. of that of yeah. discovery in, but ours is like family-based, you know? And if we could do something with Debriana's Discovering Roots, I mean, our, I've already discovered my roots so I could help her along the way. Um, and I think that would be a really fun 
thing because you know people should do that if you've never done it you know with ancestry and 23 and me and all that stuff hey you could be sponsors um you know that would be great i would watch like, that that sounds great right and really go to the place and really live that and be inspired to do that yourself i mean it's changed it changed my life as a child going to croatia with my grandparents climbing the 12th century bell tower with my grandfather and having him say look at this land this is your blood promise me that you're going to connect your kids and grandkids to this or else we have nothing this is all we are you know and i i finally fulfilled that promise um last summer when i took my kids there uh, when we could finally travel and i just it just changes you to connect to that your family, your, your, your blood, it changes you in, in the best way and um, connects us even further. And we need that. And whatever network executive is listening to this interview, don't you think it's a great idea? Uh, I, please make, please make this, please make this TV show. This needs to happen. <laughs> My wife and I would watch this. This sounds great. Right? I would. <laughs> um, no, totally. So yeah, we're thinking about stuff like that. And I mean, you know, we're, we're growing. Everybody always asks us, well, what's your pivot? Because we're of a certain age. It's like, well, we're not dead yet. That was yeah. what we said after <laughs> the Emmy last October. Um, and Apollo's asked um, us for another book. So and it's just like, you know what? Nope. It, we, Please. You can work and do what you want to do and live your passion till the day you die if you want. I firmly believe that. And we intend to do that yep. in a lot of different ways. <laughs> Well, yeah. Lisa and Debriana, I want to thank you for being on the podcast. I've really oh, loved getting a chance you. to talk to the both of you. Thank you for, for this it's wonderful cookbook as well. Also, just want to mention to the listening audience, it is going to be out this week. So you can get it through all major uh, online retail outlets and at all better bookstores. Lisa and Debriana, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank, thank you so much. Amy. I appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. That was my conversation with the wonderful Debriana Marcini and Lisa Lucas. Um, their book, That Time We Had Our Feelings, is out now. And again, I'm going to say it's a wonderful book. I really recommend you get it. I really do think also it would make a really good Christmas present or Hanukkah present for somebody. Uh, check that out. Um, it's going to be available today. You can get it through the links in the bio at our All Better Bookstores. I'm also airing a program today as well um, with the wonderful... Alicia Shevatoni, who is a food author and chef out of um, Las Vegas. Check that out as well today also. Um, I hope you're having a really good um, near holiday season and a really wonderful fall. And until next time, I'll see you at the library. <laughs>